Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Thanks, Zeke. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's really, really good to be with you all. I'm, I just stepped up here, and I've seen there's about 20 of these. I don't know what they're for. Um, maybe, it, maybe I sweat a lot as I preach. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, you did say you're from a Pentecostal church. Okay. So it's really, really good to be with you this morning. Um, as Zeke said, I'm, I'm new to, to the church. Actually, Julia and I, my wife, uh, and I have been here since... January, I think, attending online at first, and then when things opened up, we, we joined, and it's been such a, such a pleasure to be here, to meet all of you, many of you, still some to meet, but looking forward to that. Before I got a chance to meet all of you, uh, they employed me, so if that feels like things are the wrong way around, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but, um, but please do come say hi, I'll say hi to as many of you as I can as we go along, but really good to be part of this church, really good to be working uh, in this community as well as the discipleship overseer which is basically just a really fancy way of saying, uh, I'm here to serve you and, and help us all, hopefully, to grow in our, our faith and our love of Jesus. So that, that's the goal. And it is just so, so good to worship together, isn't it? It's an incredible thing to spend time together in the presence of God. And, and I, I was sitting there and I was struck that the one thing that sets church apart from every other social club is the presence of God. Take the presence of God away and we're just a social club but add the presence of God, and this place becomes a, a unique space. It becomes a space where we gather together and we meet with the living God. So that, that's an incredible privilege that we get to do. So I want to kind of speak in that context of us being here in the presence of God together, waiting for what He might want to do and say to us here this morning. So I, I acknowledge we all come from very different weeks. We come from very different spaces Perhaps this morning uh, you didn't feel any sense of the presence of God. Uh, maybe you're not even yet a Christian and you, you're still on a spiritual journey checking out the claims of Christ. That's okay. But as we're sitting here, why don't we just become open to what God might want to say this morning? And I want to try and speak from that place. So I'm continuing the Summer in the Psalms. I want to get that right. Summer in the Psalms series that we are doing. And this is really just a, a great opportunity for us to press pause and to reassess uh, where we are in our faith. What, what questions are we asking of God at the moment? What maybe is God saying to us or wanting to say to us? Has He been trying to get our attention, but we have been distracted by perhaps the seasons that we've been in, um, the mass media that we've been consuming, the series that we've been watching? Did anyone watch The Queen's Gambit uh, during the lockdown? Yeah, it was hard to escape. There are lots of things that we have been bombarded with. It's kind of felt like a fire hydrant season, where we've just been standing in front of a fire hydrant trying to drink, and this is our opportunity to pause. It's our opportunity to say, God, what are you wanting to say to me? What's the kind of spiritual temperature of my life right now? And that's hopefully what we're trying to tap into while we're here. So, and we've been tasked with Choosing a psalm, there's 150 of them. Um, so it, it, it is actually quite a daunting thing to do. And the one I, the one I wanted to do was taken. And, and then suddenly I thought, actually, no, the, there's one I want to do that hasn't been taken, and that's Psalm 23. So that's, that's what I'm going to be speaking on 
this morning. And I really think that it's an important psalm for us to think about. We are, we are living in a time, as I said, of unprecedented and constant upheaval. There are so many voices speaking to us, speaking at us, even our own voices inside, with all kinds of questions, fears, doubts, and concerns. The question of who to believe and what to follow has never been more crucial in the season that we find ourselves in. All of us need something or someone to follow, something to anchor us in this season. This came home to me in a very, very real way in uh, March last year, 15th of March last year, in fact, um, when we got back from home, Julia and I, and we were three weeks away from our wedding. And we received a flurry of text messages from our parents, I think it was, saying, have you seen the announcement? And obviously, you know, at this point, announcements aren't, don't yet produce all kinds of fear in us. Now when we hear there's an announcement, there's... <laughs> but at this stage, I thought, well, could be anything. Um, and we heard, had heard that our president in South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, had just instituted a ban on big gatherings, which obviously meant our wedding had just been taken from us. And we were together, just the two of us alone, and we were trying to process the reality of this thing that always feels so fixed in your mind, as that, that date that doesn't change unless one of you gets cold feet, or, but that wasn't the case in this situation. Um, <laughs> And so in our minds, there was this date that was a nearing that wasn't going to change, that was so sure, so fixed, suddenly removed from us. And we felt like we'd been put out into outer space. Like, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? All our leases had been kind of tied up. Um, we had geared everything towards this day being the day that we were going to kind of start our lives together. We had no place to live. We had no place to go. Everything was gone in the moment of a single announcement. And this really did lead us on a crazy journey. We ended up staying with Julia's family on the north coast of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa for seven months on their farm. We had actually been legally married uh, three weeks before our wedding because we knew that we were going to get married on the day with pastors who weren't licensed to marry us. So we did the legal bit, so it could just be the kind of celebration bit on the wedding day. Then our wedding got taken from us, and we were legally married for seven months without being married in the way that we consider marriage to be. And it was launched into this gray, strange space of trying to figure out where to go, what to do. And I remember praying and going, God, what in the world are we supposed to do? How do we make sense of something that feels so sure and then so quickly taken from us that has disrupted every aspect of our lives? Genuinely, everything had changed. I remember sitting with God once, and he said to me, I'm going to, follow you. I'm going to lead you through, not round. I don't lead you round, I lead you through. And I felt God start to speak to me about Psalm 23, that he's the God who shepherds us. He's the God who shepherds me. He's the God who leads us through. And so that's why I've chosen Psalm 23, because it has been the psalm of the season for me of the last 18 months of learning to understand God as shepherd, of learning to recognize the shepherd's voice in my own frailty and weakness and lack of ability to understand where to go. Psalm 23, it's a musical prayer that's created by David to be sung by the people of God. So it probably was written just for David to begin with, but it was taken up into Israel's song and worship book for all of us to sing together. Kind of think, I kind of think about it as like a poetic 
creation in three panels. Think about a stained glass window. And in a stained glass window, you've kind of got these like one window with three separate images, telling one story, but in three images. I think the Psalm's a little bit similar to this. It's telling one story of a God who is present with us in three different ways. So here are those three panels that are going to come up for us that I'm going to try and speak through uh, quickly, as quickly as possible, without rushing. I'm from Africa. We, we do time slightly differently. <laughs> so panel one is the posture. It starts in the postures, and there's an invitation in this place from God to us to rest. The second panel is the valley, and in this space, there's an invitation from God to us to trust. The third panel is the table, and there's an invitation from God to us to commune with him, to have communion with him. Make sense? Cool. Okay, Psalm 23, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. It's words with something. So let's start with that first panel uh, of the stained glass window. I don't really know if that's the best image, but it's fine. Uh, it'll, it'll work. So the first place is the pasture. And here we see that the Lord is our shepherd, all of us have a nominated, a chosen shepherd in our lives. Something or someone that we are following. All of us follow something or someone as ultimate. We can't help it. It's what we do. Even if you're not a Christian or a believer in any kind of faith or belief system, you have something that you consider as your shaping influence, your shaping value that you want to pursue, that you give your time to, your life to, your resources to, your affection and your devotion to. All of us Value something or someone is ultimate. Everybody worships. There's this great quote by a writer called David Foster Wallace. And I just want to read this to us because I really think it brings this home. He says this. He's not a Christian. He doesn't have necessarily any kind of sympathy for the Christian faith. But he's just recognizing something that is a crucial and part of humanity. He says, everybody worships. Worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in your life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You'll feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over those to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud. Always on the verge of being found out. It's communicating a powerful reality that every single one of us worships. 
Every single one of us values something as ultimate that we invest our love into and our lives into. All of us have a chosen shepherd for our lives. All of us follow. And David has chosen the Lord to be his shepherd. The Lord has been placed at the very front of his life to lead his life in every way. The Lord is his reference point for everything he sees, everything he does, for how he lives. But who is the Lord? This could be a really bad thing. He's put the Lord at the front of his life, but maybe the Lord's a really terrible person. Maybe the Lord's a really terrible kind of God. Maybe the Lord is an authoritarian. Maybe the Lord's a disciplinarian. Maybe the Lord's just some kind of uh, cosmic judge, dictator person in the sky, there to watch us and to punish us when we get it wrong. Who is the Lord? It matters because our experience of the shepherd is related to the character of the shepherd. Our experience of the shepherd and being led by the shepherd is directly related to who the shepherd is. So who is the shepherd? Well, the shepherd is the Lord. And who is the Lord? The Lord is Yahweh. See, when David's using this description for God, he's pointing back to when God first gave his name to the people of Israel. He's pointing back to a question that Moses asked in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is about to be presented to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is a, the most powerful person in the world at that time, at least that part of the world, uh, is about to question Moses on why uh, Moses thinks he should let the people of God go. And so Moses knows this is going to be an intimidating space, an intimidating thing to do, and he says, well, who should I say sent me? And God responds and says, tell them I am has sent you. I am who I am. I will be who I will be, has sent you. This is the first moment we ever get a glimpse of the name of God, the God who is I am, the God who is Yahweh. And this is a description of a God who has always been, of an eternal God who is self-existent, who's not dependent on anything else for his existence. He has always existed. He will always exist. He is uncreated. And from his being, all things have been created. Everything flows from him. But this is important for another reason, and it's really related to, to our psalm, is that God says, I am. I will be who I will be. I am what I'm about to do. And what he's about to do is deliver his people. What he's about to do is to make a way in the wilderness, a way where there is no way. And so what God is doing in this very moment is he's connecting his name to the action of delivering his people in love and making a way where there was no way for them to deliver themselves. He is the God who delivers his people in love. The Lord, this Lord, the gracious, delivering God who frees and rescues his people, who walks them through the dry uh, ground between the waves, between the waters, is the shepherd. And shepherds both care and they lead. One without the other would be a problem, right? Just a lot of care, but with no leadership, we wouldn't know where to go. All leadership, but no care, we feel like a bit like, you know, it doesn't really matter who we are to this particular shepherd or leader. But shepherds both care and they lead. And because of the abundance of his generosity and satisfying presence, we lack for nothing. We want nothing. Where does he lead? to the pastures and the waters. He knows what we need and delights in bringing us to it. The invitation here is to rest. 
See, the words here in the psalm where it says, he leads me beside still waters, my footnote in the NRSV says, uh, he leads me to waters of rest. To waters of rest. So what we're being offered here is restorative rest. I think some of us need that in this season, right? There's an invitation in the pastures to rest. To rest in him, to rest in his leadership. We've been fighting so hard to lead ourselves. We've been fighting so hard to know where to go and what to do, where to place the next foot in front of the other. And here God is saying, I want you to rest in my leadership and my care. So just feel for some of you here this morning, there is, there is this invitation for you to meet the shepherd in the pastures and to rest in his leadership and his care. And this is a space without noise. I felt it was so profound what Zeke did earlier, just to, just to stop everything and for it just to be quiet. Because sometimes we just need silence. I remember a family member saying to me at one point, I'm so scared of silence because it's in the silence that I start to hear the things that scare me most. But it's, it's sometimes we need to hear those things. Sometimes we need to sit with the quiet and with the voices of fear and the questions because God can't lead us through those things unless we start to see them in our lives. Invitation to you, if you're in this space and you're needing this, is to rest. So that's the first panel. I need to probably speed up here. That's the first panel. The second is the valley. So we led from the place of the pastures into the valley. Now, this can cause a lot of confusion to us. How do you connect the second panel to the first panel? How do you connect the darkest valley? Why would the shepherd do this? How could he do this? Why would he do this to me? It's, it causes a jarring sense, right, in our hearts. We, we kind of start to wonder, can I trust the shepherd, really? It was looking quite good. It was looking promising. I love the, I love the valley. I love the not valleys. I love the green pastures. I love the waters. I love the rest. But now I'm starting to feel a little bit nervous. It's getting darker in the valley. Why would the shepherd allow us into this territory? Two reasons I can think of. The first is what we're being given here by David is a true-to-life experience of the life of faith. Imagine if David wrote the psalm and just spoke about the, uh, the pastures and the waters. To us that are in that space, we go, great, I get it. I know that. That is so good. The presence of God is close. Every cliche that you could throw at me, that a Christian cliche, I get it. The presence of God is in it. It's amazing. But in the valley, the cliches don't do. In the valley, the cliches are not enough. We need more than that. And so I'm grateful this is in the psalm because this is what life is like. Life is much more messy than we'd like to think. I left high school thinking basically life is easy and good and everything works out for you. My first year of university, I realized that that was completely wrong and that life is way more unpredictable and complicated than I could have ever have imagined. And my turbulent 20s proved that. I, haven't gone I have not gone through everything there is to go through. That's difficult. But I've gone through enough for me to appreciate this part of Psalm 23. The valley is real. And we need a God who is with us for that valley to be possible. In this life, there will be sorrow. There will be pain. There will be suffering. That is, there will be valleys. There will be. So this psalm doesn't give us an idealistic, utopian dream of life. It gives us the real thing. And it gives us a real shepherd who meets us in the real mess and darkness 
of the valley. There's a second reason I think uh, this is there and why we are led into these spaces is because it allows for genuine trust and testimony to emerge. See, in our minds, we think, God, if you loved me, you would just click your fingers and you would take me through past the difficulty and the pain because surely if anyone is loving, that's what they would wish for and want for the one that they love, for the object of their love. But I think we've kind of got it the wrong way around. Not that God is a source or a cause of these sufferings and these pains. I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Uh, but we forfeit the possibility of relationship that comes through walking through things with God if we just go around. If we just sidestep the difficulty and the pain, we miss the opportunity to give genuine trust to the God who is leading us through. In these seasons of pain and suffering in my own life, I've realized that that has been the crucible in which genuine relationship with God has existed. Before it was real, in the pastures it was real, it was great, but it hadn't been tested. It hadn't been tested by fire, it hadn't been tested by pain. And the presence of God, I can tell you, meant so much more in those places to me than they could have ever have meant in the pastures, not that the pastures were bad. And it's in this space that we realize that God is big enough and good enough to lead us through. He leads us through. I had a great, very kind of visceral experience of this recently with Julia. We were in Bath for our first holiday after arriving in lockdown. So we arrived on the first day of your second lockdown um, to the UK. That was our experience of the UK. And it was dark. It was dark in November. It was dark in November. And it, was, it felt like a bit of a valley after the season we had been through. And we ended up in Bath so excited. It was the rolling green fields. It was the pastures all over again. And one day we decided, because of all the blogs said we needed to do this, we decided to go and do the two tunnels greenway. Okay, so a picture of that is going to come up uh, on the screen, just so you can see what I'm talking about. The website said it's a great experience. There's operatic music playing in the tunnel. There's lights. There's a whole ex visual audio experience. I was like, well, this is fantastic. You know, it's, it's the... It's the longest uh, underground tunnel in the UK, apparently. 1.6 kilometers long, so just over a mile. And we thought, let's do it. Great start to our holiday. As we started in, we thought, well, this is a bit darker than we expected. And the further in we got, the darker it got, and we realized, actually, there's no light in here at all. And there's no music either. This operatic visual audio experience has <laughs> been oversold and you know, overpromised, underdelivered. And we actually start to get a little bit scared. And I suddenly can't see Julia next to me either. So occasionally we kind of go, uh, I hear Julia going, Mike. And I kind of go, Ju, uh, are, uh, are you still there? And we're like, should we just turn around? Should we just walk back up? This is terrifying. We're walking, we're getting plunged into darkness, and there's nothing but the sound of our steps. And occasionally a cyclist whizzing past us with only a red light that we can see on the front of their bike to show that something is coming at us. It's like the eye of something out of the Lord of the Rings as it's coming from the other side and then whizzes past us. And we kind of grab our hands and make sure we're fine. And eventually we realized that it made no sense to go back because we were at the center and would have taken as long to get back as it would to go through. And by the time we were so afraid, we were right at the center, and it would have taken as long to go back as it would have to gone through. And we just started saying, the only way out is through. The only way out is through. The only way out is through. 
And there's something that I feel like God has put into my own heart and life in this season where he's saying the only way out is through, and I lead you out. The only way out is through, and I lead you out. In every season, there is an invitation. In every season, there's an invitation. And if we think that the invitation's the same in this season as the past season, we're going to miss the invitation in this season. And the invitation in this space is to trust invitation in the valley is to give God our trust as the shepherd he has shown us to be in the pastures. See, we need him to show us himself as the shepherd, otherwise our trust is not going to be able to be strong enough in these seasons. The shepherd draws trust from us in this space. And this is a powerful answer to the reality of suffering, the God who is with us. See, the most common question we ask when we're suffering is, why? Why me? Why now? Why this painful? But the question we need to ask ourselves and we ask that question is, who are we asking our why to? Who are we asking our why to? The universe? Who? To God? Which God? Not all answers to the question why are equal. There's a great quote that I think speaks to this. It says, suffering is not a question that demands an answer. It's not a problem that demands a solution. It's a mystery that demands a presence. Suffering is a mystery that demands a presence. And here we have the suffering presence of God with us, the presence of the shepherd with us in the, in the valley. David says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. It's the presence of someone, but more than that, it's the presence of the shepherd who cares and leads, and he leads us out the other side. I'm about to finish. This last panel is really quick, so I'm sorry if this has felt long. We're nearly, we're nearly done. There's a person called Horatio Spafford, who was a Chicago lawyer and a leader in the church. And in 1860, I think it was, there was a fire in Chicago that destroyed most of the city. His house was burnt down. They lost everything, him and his family. And he decided to send his wife and his kids ahead to a different part, I think actually over to England, and uh, he stayed behind to come over later. In the transition, in the movement of his wife and his kids over, the ship sank, and he lost all four of his daughters. His wife was unconscious, was pulled out, and was taken to safety over across to England. She wired him back a note that had two words on it. It said, saved alone. Saved alone. Horatio Spafford decided to go and meet his wife in England. He got on a boat, and as he was passing over the spot where his daughters, uh, the ship went down and his daughters had drowned, he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Here's the first verse of that song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And he's not saying, I don't feel what I feel. He's not saying we detach from our emotions. He's saying, I know the shepherd in the suffering that I am going through. I have my eyes on the one who can lead me through. There is no one else who can lead me through the valley, who can lead me through such incredible loss. All of us have lost something in this season. We all have a story of losing something. 
Who are we trusting to lead us through? David is saying, I fear no evil for you are with me. Horatio Spafford could write this song because he knew the shepherd is with him, leading him through. And finally, and in closing, we are led from the pastures through the valley to the table. We are led to the table, and the invitation here is to communion with God himself. In this space, we see the tables prepared before our enemies. It's not that the enemy is all gone. It's not that everything has suddenly uh, been turned right side up and there's no difficult emotions, no difficult experiences. We so trust the shepherd. We so know his presence. We so understand what he's doing that we see the table in the midst of the enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. Not because everything is good, but because we know him with us. We've moved from needing the pastures to prizing his presence. There's a movement here from needing to see everything around us, to know that it's good, to touch that it's good, to go, even when I don't see that it's good, I'm okay because I know his presence with me. So I want to I finish kind of, I want to finish there. And I, in a sense, I don't, I don't know where any of you are. I know where some of you are. But I don't know what invitation you need this morning. What invitation is God extending to you? Is it the invitation to trust? Is it the invitation to rest? Is it the invitation to have communion with God at the table? What, what is it that he is inviting you to in this season and through this psalm? I, I'm not sure what it is. But David can get to this place in uh, verse 6 where he can declare, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And so I, I want us to kind of follow David and stand together and, and declare this. And the, the band's going to come up as we do this. This may sound a bit strange, but what I'm, what I'm going to ask us to do, if you feel comfortable, if you feel like you're there, is we're going to stand and we're going to declare this together. The same declaration David made, we're going to make. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm, so I'm just going to tell you how this is going to go. I'm going to, say, I'm going to just read it first, and then... On the second time round, we're going to say it together, those of us who are comfortable. And then we're just going to ask God to invite us. Whatever that invitation is, we're going to ask him to do it. So I'm going to say it first, just me, just to be clear. Second time round, we'll say it together. So here is how David closes off the song of worship to God, this prayer. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. You ready to say it together? Okay, on three, we're going to go. One, two, three. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment, if you're comfortable with that. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to invite each and every one of you this morning. What's the invitation to you this morning? It may be one of those three things I mentioned. It may be none. It may be something completely different. But in every season, there's an invitation from God. But I do feel like for some of you, you're being invited in the valley to give the shepherd your trust to put your trust in his care and his leadership. 
So would you do that now? It's not me inviting you. It's God inviting you. This is from His Word. These are His invitations. Consider this an invitation from the Lord, from Yahweh, from the Shepherd. So if that's you, if you're in a valley right now, would you know the presence of the Shepherd God? He's closer than you know. So Holy Spirit, would you come to those right now who are suffering, who are grieving, who are knowing loss in various ways? Would you come? If you're being invited to the table today, would you come and sit at the table of fellowship and communion with God? Remember that table that Jesus invited us to through his body and his blood of fellowship with him. If you've been invited to rest today, if you've had the noise turned up too loud, just hear that invitation to turn the noise down and to receive his rest today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.